Here we go. I'm reading from the NIV, Matthew 8 and 16. When evening came, everybody say when evening came. Many who were demon possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here it is. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. I want to focus on the beginning there for just a few moments. When evening came, I want to preach to you just the simple topic tonight, healing at sunset. Healing at sunset. Would you put your Bibles down behind you now? I know we've prayed and we've worshiped, but would you oblige me just one more time and would you ask the Lord to fill the house again? God, we know that you've never left. We're asking right now that the anointing of the Holy Ghost would reside on me and every person in the house. Lord, I ask that you would completely remove me, that you would speak directly to your people tonight. I pray in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for what you've already done, but we believe that you're still going to do a great work. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Now, as you say amen, would you just put your hands together one more time? Come on, would you put your hands together as a praise offering unto God? Thank you, and you may be seated. I think it may be every preacher or teacher's prayer that whatever they say is not just anointed but received by the people. And as I approach this moment in time, my prayer is the same. So if you'll just oblige me, and of course with the Lord's help, open your mind just a little bit and allow me to talk about a topic that's very familiar to us. But I believe that God is not going to change a situation, but he's going to change how we view the situation. Would you say amen? We live in the sunset of time. If I can say it that way, I know it has been said for years on end now, but if you take the the time to look around, you see it's easy to see that the coming of the Lord is closer than ever before. The Bible says that in the last days, God wishes to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. He desires to save. He desires to deliver. He desires to heal. There will be healings and miracles at sunset. Spirit-filled churches trace their roots to a common teaching of healing in the atonement. What I mean by that is when the spirit, when the spirit filled, filled church was reborn in the 20th century, every major spirit filled fellowship accepted this teaching. The vicarious suffering of Jesus Christ paid not only for the salvation of our souls, but also for the healing of our body and our minds. Healing was the atonement. Salvation was the atonement. Isaiah 53 says that with his stripes we are healed. It's a very familiar verse. You do not have to attend a church for very long before you come across that scripture. It's graced our pulpits time and a time again, but I want to bring it to the forefront here because I believe that God truly wants to do something right here and right now. Matthew 8 that we just read a moment ago states that he took our, inf our infirmities and bared our sickness 
In our communion that we take, we drink the fruit of the vine, which represents the cleansing blood. We also eat the bread, which represents his broken body. His blood is for our sins and his broken body is for our healing. There were 39 stripes placed upon his back. It was the traditional punishment for a condemned prisoner. However, the Journal of American Medical Association published an article a few years ago that traced the world's diseases to 39 root sources or 39 categories. If this is correct, then there was one stripe for each class of disease known to man. God does his work right and in order. With his stripes, we are healed. Just food for thought. Hopefully, there is none of us or none among us that could raise our hand and say, I have something that God cannot heal. I've got something in my mind or my body, my spirit that God cannot take. No, there is nothing that you have that he can't heal. There is nothing that possesses you that he cannot take out of your life. He is the healer. He still has all power. And there is nothing that he cannot do. His ability stretches far beyond our comprehension level. The only thing that can inhibit God from doing his perfect will is actually you and I. I know that time and time again we've heard these same words and the same phrases repeated. And if we're not careful, we'll allow the word of God to become dull to us. And when the word of God is spoken from any man, any woman, any direction, we can miss out on the opportunity that God is trying to speak to us. So I stand before you here tonight just to remind you if you've forgotten that God is still a healer. God still has all power. I hope you'll help me just a little bit. I want to remind you here that God still has the ability to do anything. I hope that you haven't forgotten it. I hope that you haven't put it aside. I hope that when you walk in here, it doesn't pass you by. The God that we serve still has all power and authority. Would you put your hands together now? Come on, we're about to get somewhere and God's going to open up your mind. I believe it in Jesus' name. Modern medicine indirectly acknowledges this. The symbol of medicine today is a serpent on a staff. Some scholars say it hails back to Aeschylus, the Greek god of healing, but it actually goes even further back than that. In the wilderness, when the Israelites were afflicted by venomous vipers and poisonous snakes, Moses lifted up the brazen serpent on a pole and he shouted these words, and I quote, Look on this and live. Look on this and live. And they looked and they lived. In John 3, Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted this brazen serpent, that he too would be lifted up. The rule now is, however, not look and live, but rather believe and live. They looked and they lived, but now we must believe and live. I agree with where we look is important. I understand that we are to keep our eyes on the Lord, but at the same time, there is something to be said about faith. It's no longer look and live, but rather it's believe and live. I don't know if I've ever seen him do what he's going to do, but I believe 
believe that he can do it. Something inside of me is yearning to see God do something miraculous, something incredible. So I'm encouraging you here tonight, all of you that are under the sound of my voice, no longer look and live, but believe and live. Lift your faith in the house. I'm preaching to you right now. God wants you to believe in him and watch him do everything. I want everyone in the house to agree with me that God is a miraculous God. He is a miracle worker in our lives. And if you believe that, then you will begin to see the true power and authority manifest itself in your life. This is our life. If I had a nickel for every time my mother told me that, I never understood it. Maybe I still don't understand it completely. But she would say, Grant, this is our life. What we're doing is our life. She strategically, with the uplifting of my father, put things in order in my mind. She told Chance and I that you've got to have order in your life. Pastor has preached about order. Order always precedes the miracle. But there's order that has to follow the miraculous of God. Or rather, go before it. He is still a miracle worker. I want you to know today that there is no plan B. <laughs> Jesus is the only plan. And the crowd goes wild. The word of God is the only plan. Still not there, but we're going to get there. I hope that you don't have a backup plan when it comes to living for God or seeing the things of God performed in your life. Society that we live in today thinks that living for God and seeing the things of God are two different things. But in fact, the order precedes the miracle. When you're living for God, you'll see the things of God performed. I just want to talk to you here for a moment. In fact, if you have a plan B or an escape plan, if I can say it that way, that plan could be the very reason that you've yet to see the things that God has promised you. Because he is looking for a bride. He is looking for himself. And if we have a plan B, if there's an escape plan, if there's another way of passage in our own mind and in our own life, we're not, we don't really look as much like him as we think we do. It's interesting to me. I'm going to be, I've, actually, I just celebrated three years of marriage in June. And so, yeah, yeah. Never would have made it. Comes to mind. Try telling your spouse that you have a backup plan. You know, Jesus calls us his bride. <laughs> well, honey, don't worry about it. If things don't work out or go the way I think they should, then I have a backup plan. If things don't happen in the time or place I think is appropriate, I can just always go to plan B. Maybe I'll finally travel the world or maybe I'll enjoy the single life again. Go ahead and see how far that gets you, I dare you. <laughs> I can tell you where it will get you. It will get you about six feet underground. Or in my case, you would never find my body. I'm preaching to you tonight that 
This thing has got to be all you have. There is no turning back when it comes to living for God because I don't have anything to go back to. I'm just going to preach to you a little bit right here and right now. I was raised in the church, but there's something about somebody that's walked away from the Lord or somebody that hasn't known him for a very long time. There's a little bit of a pep in their step. Why? Because they know where they came from. They can see just around the corner where God brought them from. So I've come to preach to you tonight to challenge you. Do not have a plan B. There better not be a backup plan in your life. I'm challenging somebody under the sound of my voice this has got to be everything it's got to consume you every fiber of my being everything that I am is what God created me to be I'm going to live by the word I'm going to testify about it in the name of Jesus you got to put your hands together we're almost there yay In 1905, in Houston, Texas, an apostolic revival broke out from one woman being healed on a street corner. Mrs. Delaney was the wife of a prominent lawyer in Houston, Houston, Texas. She was a socialite, but she was hit by a streetcar in downtown Houston in 1902. The accident left her paralyzed to live the rest of her life in a wheelchair. Her case was in the courts and the newspapers for about two years and made headlines almost daily. One day she was invited downtown to Bryan Hall to hear a preacher from Kansas named Charles Parham. He prayed and she was healed. The most incredible part of the story is that on one account, Mrs. Delaney said, and I quote, I know the Lord is going to heal me. He has already sent me a dream and has showed me the man's face that will pray for me and pull me out of my wheelchair. It will be in the evening time, but the Lord did not tell me what day or where it would take place. The man she saw in her dream was Charles Parham. You can read it for yourself. That healing stirred up such a tremendous amount of interest that a wonderful black man by the name of William Seymour would experience this great revival and would then later go to Azusa Street in California. And if you know anything about the Holy Ghost revival, you've heard of what happened at Azusa Street. The list of healings there are mind-boggling. 24-hour-a-day services, baptizing people at 2 and 3 in the morning, mass healings, limbs growing back, teeth growing back, into gums. However, Jesus said, and here it is, are you ready for it? In the last day, greater works than these shall ye do. It reminds me of the stoning of Stephen, if you'll oblige me for just a moment. Stephen is preaching perhaps his only sermon as he preaches what will be his last sermon there is a bystander, Saul, soon to be Paul, holding the coats of those about to stone Stephen to death. Because of Stephen's determination and fear Fearlessness. His personal, his uh, uh, personality puts a spark in the man that would become perhaps the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. Essentially, it was the lifestyle and the character of Stephen that caused his preach word to find its way into the hardened, calloused heart of Paul, then Saul. It was not just his message, although his message was powerful and he knew it well, but it was how he delivered it through the hardships and the personal 
persecution that captured the mind of Saul and burned itself into the lobes of his brain. So much so that Paul would repeat word for word Stephen's last sermon to the king just a short time later. It had imprinted on him and in him. He couldn't escape the words, the actions of Stephen. The thing that he lived out right in front of Saul would forever transform his life. It would even change his name. But I've come to preach to you here today. What that means is the closer we get to the coming of the Lord and the closer and we get closer to that day by day, the greater the miracles, signs and wonders that we are going to see and partake in. There is a healing at sunset. I've come to preach to you here tonight. The Lord is going to have to help me with this. He's going to have to help me. I hope that you receive it. Because of a woman that was struck by a vehicle, went and got prayed for, and because Charles Parham was obedient to the word of God and went where he led him and had faith, the Lord showed up and did the miraculous. It not only fueled a revival in Houston, Texas, that same fire got a hold of a man that was there, of course, named William Seymour. You may be familiar with him. And he then went on to lead one of the greatest revivals the United States and even the world has ever seen. Are you with me now? Here's the point. As I prayed and studied last night, the Lord spoke it to me. Your affliction, are you with me? Your sickness and or disease, your crisis, your situation could be the very thing that sparks this end time revival starting at New Life Fellowship. Oh, I hope you get it now. I hope you're going to get it now. What you and your family have been dealing with is the issue that God is going to magnify and solve in front of everyone else. What was once an unsolvable problem will become the beacon of revival in this city and in this community. It's time to change your perspective. It's time to lift up your head. It's time to dry your eyes just a little bit. Because what you're battling, what you're going through, is what God is going to magnify at this end hour. I've come to preach to you here today. There is a healing at sunset. God is going to do the work. God is going to do the work. Come on, if you believe that, you ought to put your hands together. There's a powerful demonstration of the Holy Ghost in the house. Listen to me. I'm just not saying it to say it. The Lord is here. Come on, the Lord is here. Whatever your issue is, you are to put it in the forefront of your mind you ought to say this out of your mouth it's just another opportunity for you to do it God it's just another opportunity for you to demonstrate who you are come on right now in this moment would you lift your voice would you lift your voice now would you lift your voice now hey hey your pain and your affliction is God's greatest triumph. Lift up your head. Dry your eyes. God with all power is going to use your brokenness to put a lost and dying world back together. I've come to preach to you tonight. I hope you receive it. There is a healing at sunset. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel it in the Holy Ghost. God is not done with you yet. 
He's just about to perform the greatest thing that you may ever see in your life. If you would lift your faith in the room. Yay! I've shared the story many times. I feel like it bears repeating. It's one of my favorite stories. I love it. When I was in Israel in 2011, our guide, Erez, was his name, is his name, took us to the side of a hill. It was actually a vast valley. There were hills on either side. And he pointed to us and said, this is faith. And of course, Western mindset, our culture, I didn't get it. I was very literal. What do you mean this is faith? I don't understand the demonstration. And he said, well, if you look back through history, and I've gone back and done it myself through Israel's history, Hundreds of years ago, they actually had to ban the planting of mustard seed because of what it would grow and sprout and what it would overcome. The entire valley was yellow. It was a sea of yellow, and it was all mustard. Parts of Israel harvest it, but they keep it very, very minute because it can get out of control so quickly. Even with modern technology, it's able to overcome things that just absolutely blow your mind. And as he stood there and said, this is faith, it... When the Bible talks about having faith, the grain of a mustard seed, I know we're very familiar with that and, you know, hearing it in Sunday school and all the different parts of the church, but he said, it's so incredible because one seed is the equivalent of a hundred bushels of mustard. One seed is the equivalent of a hundred bushels of mustard. In fact, mustard got, mustard got so out of hand that they literally had to ban it from the country of Israel because they tried burning it and it came back even thicker. It would overcome walls and boundaries. They built buildings and it began to crack the foundation and it began to overcome everything they tried to put in its path. I hope you're making the connection here, but I'll help you out a little bit. That's exactly what your faith will do. I'm telling you right now, there's no foundation that the devil can lay before you that faith cannot begin to crumble and overcome and overwhelm. The devil cannot burn it out if you won't let him. The only power he has is the power that you give him. So I'm preaching to somebody right here and right now. If you would lift up your faith and understand and realize and accept that there is a healing at sunset, God is going to do a work in your life. Come on, put your hands together, everybody. Put your hands together, everybody. On the walls of an insane asylum were written the words to a beautiful poem, and I quote, If we think, or excuse me, if we with ink the ocean could fill, and were the sky of parchment made, where every stalk on earth was a quill, and every man was a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore ensure the saints and angels' song. A man said it so well when he said, you can trust this Lord. He is the one that has made us. It is, it is he who has made us and not ourselves. Let heaven declare the glory of God and the firm 
firmament shows his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. And no far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. I'm telling you today, you can trust him. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He is endurantly strong. He is empowerly sincere. He is eternally steadfast. He is immortally graceful. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. He is the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He is the son of God. He is the sinner savior. He is the centerpiece of civilization. He does not have to call for help and you can't confuse him. He doesn't need you and he doesn't need me, but he chooses to use us whenever we will allow him. He stands alone in the solitude of himself. I've come to preach to you here today just to quickly remind you who God is. Our vocabulary isn't vast enough. I couldn't take all the time in the world and begin to describe to you who he is and what he's capable of, but I've come to preach a simple message and I hope that you receive it with your whole heart because God is wanting to do something and he's going to utilize your affliction. He's going to utilize your problem and it's going to become the beacon. He's not just going to heal you, but it's going to be the testimony that uplifts the faith of others that look upon you and say, that had to be God. I don't know how they came out of it, but God had to be a part of it. I've come to preach to you here tonight. There is a healing at sunset. For those of you who don't seem to have an affliction, or you may think that you don't need a healing, I'm preaching to you. Azusa Street may have never happened if William Seymour hadn't taken what he experienced in Houston, Texas, and went and started a work in California. I'm preaching to all of the William Seymours out there. You are just as vital to this revival, to this outpouring that God has promised us that his word declares as anyone else. God is looking for runners. I feel it so strongly in my spirit. He needs a human microphone. Somebody who is not just going to tell of what they have seen God do, but they believe that God has more and he wants to give it out. They are not satisfied with just one miracle or just one healing but they will have 24 hour prayer meetings and church services until something breaks God is looking for doers and prayer warriors William Seymour's need to rise up now I'm talking to somebody under the sound of my voice right here you're looking at yourself and saying I don't seem to have any afflictions I'm actually I'm rather blessed by God and I'm thankful for it I'm thankful that God has blessed you but I've come to tell you here it doesn't mean that you can sit on your hands. It doesn't mean that you just pray for those around you, but God is looking for somebody to see what he's doing, to get in tune with his spirit and his anointing, and he wants you to spread it everywhere that you go. If William Seymour hadn't taken what he had experienced and what he had seen, and he had just sat down and let him carry on whatever they were doing, Azusa Street may have never happened. So I've come to preach to you here tonight, and I hope that you receive it. 
God desperately needs you. He desperately needs your voice. He desperately needs your body. He desperately needs you to go wherever you need to go and talk about him. Talk about what's going on here. God's going to perform something incredible. And it's up to us to spread it. You got to spread it everywhere that you go. Come on, put your hands together now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting to me, I read just a little bit, I think it's very apparent to many of us, but I'm just going to shine some light on it. It's incredible, in Jesus' day, thousands of years ago, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, and all those who opposed Jesus and were constantly trying to catch him in the middle of something that they thought was against the law, what they thought was the law. And it's incredible how things have actually completely flipped and changed from one end of the spectrum to another because... In Jesus' day, every Pharisee, scribe, Sadducee, everybody that opposed Jesus, they couldn't reject the fact that he could heal. He did it right in front of them. In fact, oftentimes he purposely did it in front of them because he just wanted to prove to them who he was, but there's another side to that. In Jesus' day, they knew that he could heal. Mental, physical, emotional, whatever the case may be, cast demons out, but they did not believe that he could forgive sins. They refused to believe it. How can you do this? It's not possible. And it's incredible to me how through the annals of time in history, it's actually completely switched. We believe that God can forgive sins. We believe that we can do whatever we want throughout the week and as long as we get right with God, then he's going to forgive everything because after all, he is all merciful. He has all grace. He is love. But we do not truly believe that he can heal. Church camp a few years ago, I spoke with a young man. He was from Japan. His parents were missionaries. They were from Japan, came to America, went back to Japan. So, of course, he's fluent in Japanese. And we were talking, and he said that one time they, had a, they, they were having to hide. In the part of Japan that they were in, it was frowned upon. In fact, oftentimes, his parents would be beaten directly on the street because in other countries, if you break the law, they demonstrate discipline in front of everyone. They just cut your hand off or beat you with a cane or whatever. There's not too many hands that have to be cut off before you realize, I probably shouldn't steal. They don't throw them in prison. They just make an example out of you in front of everyone. Everyone's scared to death, and you just carry on and hide everything that you do. He said that they were having church one time, and they couldn't have it in a building because every building that, that was available to them, it was, it was too close to where they thought that the police or the the law at that time would find them. And so they, they found themselves in a field. And he said as they found themselves in a field, there was probably around 500 people that showed up. And he said it was almost like a big cliff, an overhang. It, it, was, it was this huge, they, they all gathered around this overhang. It was almost a, a cave, if I can say it that way. It wasn't a cave, but they just surrounded this, this uh, like a hill and it dropped off on the other side. And so they're hiding behind this hill. And he said, we begin to praise and worship and just go about what we normally go about. And he said, 
we all got really scared and fell to the ground because all of a sudden it sounded like that there were helicopters and, and jets and different things hovering above us. We thought that we had been caught. In fact, everywhere that we were all around us lit up. It was like somebody put a spotlight on us. He said we were so scared we laid on the ground and just put our hands behind our back because in Japan that's part of submission. It's not necessarily lifting your hands. It's laying on your face with your hands behind your back. So we said everybody found themselves laying prostrate on the floor on the ground with their hands behind their back. About five minutes passed and they realized that it wasn't the police at all. In fact, somehow, because of faith, they had mustered up such a powerful presence of God that it was like helicopters and jets hovering over them. He said when we came to the realization of what was truly going on, we stood up and we could see as far as the eye could see the city down around us. And he said as we begin to praise and worship, the light began to break out from where we were and shine across the city. He said my dad had been praying that God would let them be a light in the city. It was confirmation. I've come to tell you here what God is doing overseas, what he's doing in other countries. I know it's difficult for us to grasp sometimes but he's wanting to do the same thing here we say well we have a lot more things than they have we have a lot more freedom well maybe we shouldn't maybe we should live like we don't have those things because before we know it God is going to show up in such a powerful way there will be a demonstration and it's going to be what carries you through whatever affliction disease issue that is in your life I've come to preach to you here tonight God is still a prayer answering God God still has all power. He is still a healer. He still hears his people. I've come to preach to you here. We've got to wake up. We've got to get desperate. I know that while I preach it, I've got to live it. And so I'm standing before you here tonight, believing that God is going to do a great thing. I want to draw your attention to Mark chapter 9. Jesus comes off of Transfigured Mountain and a young man possessed with a demon meets Jesus and his disciples. The man's father is with him. The Jesus said, Lord, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And Jesus answers and says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Jesus hits him with such a thunderous truth that the demon-possessed boy and his father could not hardly handle it because they had lived in the center of this dilemma. The boy had been throwing himself in the fire and throwing himself in the water. But I'm here to declare something to you here tonight. It does not matter who you are. If you can believe that all things are truly possible. If you have faith that God can truly change you regardless of what you have done, if you believe that God can truly give you what you lack, that's when God can cast out what doesn't belong and put in you exactly what he needs. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I've just come to preach a simple truth to you here tonight. If you can believe, if you can lift up your faith and begin to look around you. God is not here's, here's the prayer I prayed I went and I talked to my dad about it and I brag on my parents a lot just because I'm still trying to get favor I went to my dad and said here's what I'm praying I feel like the Lord's speaking something to me you, you know how do you feel about it what do you think you know what does the word say so we sat down looked through the word and I began, to, I began to pray and, Lord, 
you've got to change the situation. I prayed that, I did. Change my situation. Change the opportunities in my life. Change what's going on for your glory. I'll sacrifice, I'll give, but for your glory. Just change my situation. You can do it, I know you're able. And I'm reminding the Lord of everything that he's changed, every miracle that he's done, things that I've seen with my own eyes. And months went on and I talked with Sierra and we prayed about it and we're praying for the young people and the young adults and we're praying and we're praying. And finally, God spoke to me. He had been speaking to me for a long time, but I wouldn't hear it. He said, I'm not going to change your situation. I'm going to change the way you view your situation. And as I was praying and studying last night, the Lord spoke the same word to me, and so I'm just going to repeat it to you. God has the ability, if you'll allow Him, to change the way you view your situation to where what seems... What seems like is killing you is sucking the life out of you. He's going to change the way you see it. And you're going to begin to understand that if it wasn't for those things in your life, if it wasn't for the things that he's allowed to happen to you in your life, you may not be where you think you ought to be. I hope that you hear me tonight. I know that's a strong word, but I've come to preach something to you right here. God is going to change the way you view your situation. Well, you don't understand. I've been sick for a long time. Well, you don't understand. My children still have not come back to the Lord. Well, you don't understand. I still don't have a job that allows me to provide for my family like I think I should. Well, you don't understand, and you can fill in the blank, but I'm here to tell you right now, God may not change your situation. If he does, I'm thankful for you. But he's going to change the way you view the situation. You better take the opportunity of where God has placed you and allow him to utilize you where you are right now. You've got to allow him to utilize you where you work right now, who you're surrounded by right now, what you need to do right now. Pastor Andrew, I know that you, you've dealt with the same thing. I, we have young people come to us sometimes and they're so desperate to do something for God. They say, well, I feel like God is calling me to be a missionary. Praise God. We're thankful. Okay. But the first question that we often ask is, well, what are you doing right now where you are? Why does changing your figure or your, your literal location change the ability of God? What are you doing in your school right now? I'm thankful for everybody that's helping in Africa. I'd love to go someday. I think it'd be a great experience. I'm thankful for everybody that's missionaries everywhere. Please do not get me wrong. But what I'm talking to you right now is listen to me, young people. Listen to me, every young adult. Because society is leading us to believe that millennials have no idea what they're doing or where they're going. And if you ask my dad, he's, he's one of them. <laughs> and I'm a millennial. <laughs> Sorry, bad joke. Moving on. Society wants us to believe that we have no idea what we're doing or where we're going. But I've, I've come tonight to tell you that there is purpose in your life. And if you'll add a little bit of passion to it, I hope that you're passionate about giving Bible studies. I hope that you're passionate about having a closer relationship with God. I hope that you're passionate about knowing him more than you've ever known him before and seeing him do things that you've never seen him do before before God is going to send you somewhere else why don't you find out what you can do right now God wants to utilize you right where you are he wants to utilize you with who you're around right now
now? Who are you leading right now? Who are you discipling right now? Oh, I don't know. Genesis 1 starts it off, chapter 1, six times, all six days. It says that the evening and the morning were all the same day. So what he was saying was that God did in the morning at creation, or what God did in the morning at creation, he'll do in the evening before he comes. Genesis 8, Noah brought a dove into the ark, and it was evening time. Hear this. The dove had an olive branch in its mouth. Now, stay with me here. The dove is a type of spirit, but it had an earthly manifestation in its mouth, which meant Noah was about to see a miracle and get out of that boat in 150 days. Here's what I want to tell you. There are troubles and trials in the lives of people, but there is a dove landing in the middle of your storm with an earthly manifestation in its mouth saying, you are going to come out of this dilemma. It's taken a little bit of time, but the Lord's timing is perfect. I hope you hear that. You've been mocked and ridiculed. You've been tossed about from side to side. You've even become seasick about whether or not God truly cares about you or can he really heal, can he really perform the miraculous. God is going to bring you out of that storm and he is going to use your situation to show those who are watching that he is still God. I want to put a little bit of pressure on you here tonight. What God is going to do for you in your life is not just for you. You have a duty and an obligation because whatever God does for you... He wants you to utilize it to affect the lives of people around you. Paul said that I am a book read of all men. It's time for us to live what we say we believe. I know that's strong, but I've come to preach to you here tonight. And through your trial, he won't only save you, but he'll save and transform the minds of those that see him do the work in your life. 1 Kings 8, it was Elijah's evening sacrifice that brought the fire down on Carmel. Ezra 9 and 5, Ezra declares that he rose up from his heaviness in the evening. Matthew 14, Jesus does his first mass miracle at evening time, feeding the 5,000. There is a healing and a miracle at sunset. God still heals. I hope that's not too simplistic for you. I hope it hasn't become too stagnant. He still heals. But sadly, in the day and age that we're in, I believe we have been conditioned to give up on God. God is always a last resort, more so than a first responder, and we tend to give up on him. A leader came to Jesus in Mark 1 and said, if you were willing, make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing, be clean. A paraplegic man must have been really embarrassed, was lowered through the roof by four of his friends just to be in the presence of Jesus. He was among all of the skeptics. Jesus said, I am going to heal this man. To which the Pharisees replied, which is easier, to heal him or to forgive his sins? Then Jesus healed him and forgave his sins. He healed him because he wanted to show that he could forgive his sins and heal him. I'll end with this. I love, the, I love the gospels. I love reading exactly what Jesus had said, what the men of God wrote down on parchment. I love that. And as I 
read about every time Jesus had interacted with Pharisees and Sadducees. Sometimes in the word he comes across to me as the arrogant guy trying to prove who he really is. (laughs) Hear me out. He's wanting to continually show them, I am who I say I am. I'm sent from my father. And so time and time again, he goes completely against what the Pharisees and Sadducees say is the law. You can't heal on the Sabbath. Watch me. You can't forgive sins. I forgive your sins. I can't heal. I can't set free. I can't deliver. And he does all these things over and over and over again. And as I was reading that one day, it it came across to me in my mind, Jesus was the commandment buster. He was constantly seeking out the impossible because he knew that he had a demonstration and a work to complete. And he understood that the more that he could do for us in the short amount of time that he was here, the greater depiction of who we should be and what he wants us to be would be more of a reality in our own mind. And so I'm challenging you here tonight. Sometimes subconsciously, we set rules and regulations for God. Well, this is too big or this issue is just too small. I've come to challenge you tonight. I'm not talking about a God who just heals physical ailments. It's not just the cancers and the broken bones and the deformities and things that we can tangibly see or touch. But God can touch your mind. He can remove bitterness from you. He can remove emulations from you. He can restore relationships with one single word. He can snap his fingers and align the stars and everything in your life can perfectly align because that's the kind of power that he has. I've come to preach a word to you tonight. There is a healing at sunset, but it's not just the physical, tangible healing that we often think of. But I've come to tell you that God is the healer of your mind and of your heart and of your spirit and of your soul to restore your marriage, to restore your relationship with your children, to restore your your, your working relationship with your boss and those that you come in contact with every day I've come to preach to you God cares about you he sees where you are and there is a healing at sunset would you stand with me all across this place with your arms lifted with your with your voices lifted would you begin to call out on God now come on he's looking for a desperate people he's looking for a desperate people right here I'm encouraging you right here, whatever need you have in your life, whatever it is, do not hold back. Would you call out on God now? Lord, I believe that you can do it. You are the healer. You are the master physician. But if you don't do it, God, I'm going to be okay with it because you're going to transform the way I see my situation. All things work together for my good. I believe that. I may not see it right in front of me right now, but I believe that it's the work that you're doing. I believe that you're capable and able now. I'm going to do everything I can to get my mind and my heart in line with your word and your will for me. I'm desperate, Lord. Come on, would you cry out to the Lord now? Would you cry out to the Lord now? Not for me, but for yourself. Come on, we're creating a place for him to inhabit. He's here. He's here. He's here. He's here. Yeah, 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 yeah.
Come on, that's it. I pray for every man. I pray for every woman. I pray for every marriage. I pray for every disease and sickness. I bind it right now and I cast it into outer darkness because you've given me power with the anointing of the Holy Ghost, evidence in speaking in other tongues. Your word declares it to be so. I rebuke pain. I come against blood pressure and diabetes. Lord, I come against headaches. I come against asthma right now in the name of Jesus. You are a miracle working God. You are still a miracle working God. You can't just forgive sins, but you're still a healer. You're still a restorer. Come on, I feel faith starting to rise in the house. I feel faith starting to rise in the house. Lift your faith. Promote your faith. Come on, grab somebody next to you if it's appropriate. Bind together right now.